Okay, well, I'm going to record it to my computer, I guess. Well, uh, how's it been going? Been going on, man. I don't have. I'm not going to be able to stream it because I don't have permission. DeAndre's got all that set up with his, but anyway. So, um, something interesting that happened actually. Um, I had an S21 Ultra. I got AT and T, so yeah. um, I pay for insurance because I had only had like three. Um, installments paid on the plan but i paid for insurance just in case anything happened so my screen broke it didn't crack or anything i thought it did at first but it was just like a little corner in the top uh on the top right hand side it looked like some of the led lights went out so i, I sent it in to get it fixed and i got an email telling me they couldn't fix it so i called them and they said they were going to have to uh, send me a new device, but they didn't have any S21 Ultras in stock. So they put me on hold and checked, and they sent me a whole S22 Ultra uh, 512 with the 512 gigabytes for the same price as a repair, $29. That's pretty good. I don't, I'm not familiar with all those phones. I don't even know what kind of iPhone I have just looking at it. S22 Ultra is the one that just came out like less than a month ago. Um, so did you have any topics that you wanted to cover? Uh, no, I figured we'd talk about a little bit about Ukraine, you know, just uh, yeah. that's going. So, yeah, give me your up. take on that whole situation, because we've done a couple of uh We've done two episodes that are just like updates on that situation and how we see, you know, predictions and where we're headed and all that. But what's your what's your take on that? Uh, a pretty general question. Uh, there's a so, OK, of let's go back to the let's. Yeah. OK, let's go back to the beginning, uh, the day that it happened. What are you thinking? Um. <clears throat> About, I don't know, three to four days before it happened, uh, although Russia does do training exercises annually, uh, it was pretty fishy. They were surrounding Ukraine. I had a feeling that something was going to happen in the days leading up to it. Uh, it's, a weak, it's a bad situation. Uh, I don't agree with how Russia is handling it, but at the same time, uh, I also understand their frustration with NATO surrounding uh, Russia. You know, have you ever seen that? Did you watch that documentary, Ukraine on Fire, Winter on Fire, the Ukrainian fight for independence? No, is that the um, Oliver Stone documentary? I can't remember who made it. It uh, came I out think on it Netflix got taken down. Yeah, it, it came back on, actually, during the, all this. They put it back on Netflix. But, uh, you know, they, in 2014, I believe that was the year, they, Ukraine was like, oh, we want to be part of NATO. Russia saw that as a threat. So they went in. Yeah. I mean, they've been at war for years. It just hasn't been on the TV like it is now. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, 
think so Russia's that goes um, this is a this is something that's really been in the works for really since 1994 when Clinton uh, convinced the Ukrainians to give up their nukes in exchange for our protection. But but what you're referring to um, was the time that, uh, so 2004, I think, was the last spate of like a bunch of countries that got added to NATO, including the Baltic states, Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, which do border Russia. But in 2008, uh, right before Bush left office at uh, the US-EU summit, um, that is when they declared their intention to make Ukraine uh, a NATO member, which from the very beginning is a horrible idea because Ukraine is, it's actually, the, most people when they say, when, when people say the Ukraine, especially here, um, what that actually means is, well, Ukraine in Russian and Ukrainian means borderlands. So you're saying the borderlands, but since they're a border state, it would ide be ideal for them to be a neutral country. Uh, but oh, ever I since Bush made that statement, you know, that they've been pushing back against it because, you know, that's their territory as far as Russia sees it, that part of the world. Yeah, it... Uh... Yeah, I see how Russia takes it as a threat, but it also shouldn't be any of Russia's business. But at the same time, Ukraine's a border state. So uh, it's trying to, what was the name of that agreement in 94? The nuke, we, whenever we said, look, we'll protect you if y'all give up your nukes. What was that called? I'm trying to look it up right now. Not sure, but. So, yeah, obviously, I agree it shouldn't be any of Russia's business, but, the, you know, the, the world we live in just doesn't, geopolitics still exists, the balance of power still exists, and we, at the same time, have the Monroe Doctrine. If anybody tries to come over here and set up shop in, in the Western Hemisphere, we're not happy about it because this is our territory. So, while they should have the right to, the people of Ukraine, to do whatever they please, it just... It doesn't seem like it's going to work out that way. Well, clearly it's not. My take on it was roughly half of Ukraine doesn't want to be Ukraine. They want to be Russia. And the other half wants to be Ukraine. I don't understand why they didn't just, and you have the, you know, those two Russian independent states now yeah. in, in since 2014, the separatist regions, the Russian-backed yeah. separatist regions in the East. They should have just split yeah. the country up, and that would have solved, so, in my opinion, a lot. I don't think there'd be war now if they just would have gone ahead and split up the country. Well, made two separate this whole, this is really the, it's the West's fault. It's kind of NATO's fault, because they led Ukraine to believe that they were going to get to be members of NATO, and it encouraged the Ukrainians to start getting um start playing strong with the russians and then when it all comes down to it we're not there to actually take them and help them and, and bring them into nato because it's just created such a big issue so 
it's really our fault. As we should have never convinced them to give up their nukes. Um, yeah. Because we promised them, hey, look, if y'all give up your nukes, we'll protect you. And uh, I didn't sign that agreement, but the president at the time did. And look, now we're going back on our word. I'm not saying we should be involved because I don't think we should, but this all would have been, you know, yeah, solved well, if we would have never convinced them to give up their nukes in the first place. It's a very bad situation and there's no good way out because this problem shouldn't have even been started back then. But I certainly don't think I actually have to commend Biden on this and he's still playing pretty weak, but I don't think he actually wants us to get involved in World War Three, but it's a difficult situation to be in because there's really no good options other than don't antagonize Russia too much because this this is the closest we've ever been to a possible third world war ever and it's looking like it could go either way. Yeah, um, speaking of commending Biden, um, no, this might be controversial. It will be. And uh, Republicans and Democrats and independents and libertarians alike uh, really were upset by this, but sat down and I was like, you know what? I, I think he did okay. It was when we pulled out of Afghanistan. Uh, any, No matter how we were going to pull out, it was going to be rough because we were we were there in a war to begin with but uh i commend him for ending the war he got the it didn't go that smoothly but he got the troops out you know something presidents have been saying for years and it's unfortunate that it happened the way it did but so whenever that first happened i thought the same thing i was just like so People have been wanting this for this long, and now they're attacking Biden for doing it. But then when I saw that video, yeah, it's a that just that looked really bad. I, I mess. It was definitely messy. think we should have been out before that. Um, but I don't. I the way that he did it was just really not good, and so it was messy. I can't commend him for that. We basically lost that war, and that was proof. And the fact of the matter is that the Afghans are not going to be any safer and they're probably just going to be taken right back over. But I don't think we should have ever been there in the first place. Yeah, and that's the issue is we should have never been there in the first place. Instead of holding Saudi Arabia accountable, we just went and started blaming other countries. When truth be told, we knew it wasn't the end. We were just trying to, I don't know. And then Saudi Arabia then went ahead and attacked Pensacola Naval Air Station a few years back, and we just ignored that. I didn't really, that might have been on the news one night, but uh, I don't know. We never, you know, have a heart. The problem is the war on terror wasn't against a country, but we declared war on two states, two sovereign states, and they didn't, you know, they, it's the Taliban, they were heavily funding Al Qaeda. And you could argue that they were controlled by Al Qaeda, but Honestly, I think the best situation would have been hunt down Osama, kill him, just, you know, get rid of Al-Qaeda. Why are we declaring war on a sovereign state when they, you know, it's a terror organization that we're really after? Right. Well, you know, we would have had to admit as a country, our government would have, that we funded the Taliban to fight 
uh, yeah. <laughs> Russia, and then we funded Al Qaeda to fight Taliban. It yeah. was just we we keep messing that's with the Middle East situation. That situation in the Middle East is just so. That area will never not be in a, in a state of conflict, and you know there's several conflicts going on. There's conflicts that the major conflict I would say is not necessarily between Israel and all the Islamic states, but rather between Iran and Saudi Arabia with use of proxy militaries and terror organizations to fight proxy wars in the buffer state of Iraq, which is always, it's like control is fought between the two of them for, for control of Iraq. And the thing about Saddam Hussein was, yeah, he was a murderous dictator, but he was keeping that under control. I like Gaddafi, though. Oh yeah, well, Gaddafi, see the interesting thing about him, the way that Hillary talks about him is very scary. Um, you know, um, we came, we saw he died. But if you go back and look, um, before the Arab Spring took place, Gaddafi wanted to unite the continent of Africa under a gold standard currency. And uh, Libya at the time did not have a, a private central bank. Now they do. And so... He was killed. I think that that had a lot to do with it. They didn't want him creating that kind of currency and possibly uniting Africa in, into a position of strength economically. And the dude was a crazy dictator. I wouldn't have wanted to live yeah. under him, but a lot of people, his people, liked him. We shouldn't – the United States needs to stop going around and just because we don't like somebody – take them out and destabilize the region yeah. because we're just making the problem is that we think that. we think that the rest of the world wants what we want and that there's no reason to believe that because they haven't shown themselves to want those things like everybody every country does not have to be a liberal democracy but we think they do we think they want that and most people especially in that part of the world don't and most places outside of the western world don't actually want that for some reason, but it's, you know, it, whatever reason, it doesn't matter because yeah, they're I, the ones who've got to live under it. I think a lot of the reasons um, was because, you know, in the United States and other Western democracies, you know, you have tight local politics, tight city politics, tight state politics, tight federal politics. Whereas in a yeah. lot of those countries, they just have federal politics, they have federal policies and they don't, Nobody really concerns themselves. Yeah. Well, that's because the regions, all the little regions there, they're all there. First of all, like Afghanistan, for instance, it's very ethnically diverse and the borders are arbitrary. They were drawn up by the British whenever they occupied and nobody asked anybody what, you know, that there's no reason for that country to exist as it is because of all the different people groups that can't necessarily live in the same country together. They have like a puppet federal government, but all their individual regions are run by local warlords. Whereas we have towns and cities and whatnot, they have areas that are controlled by certain clans. Yeah. Uh, a lot of, they like it like that, you know, the, the clan, the Seems that warlords. Way let everybody do whatever they want to and then nobody really concerns themselves with the federal dictator so to speak but the united states just can't 
handle other people being happy without our influence. So, you know, some, some, it's very few places that have turned out better after we occupied. I would say Germany and Japan might be the only ones. And we, they became our allies because we didn't really give them a choice, but now they're, they are better for it. They're two of the most powerful economies in the world. But most of the places that we've been, um, you know, doing our crusades and are no better. And in fact, most of them are worse off. Korea, South Korea is in a much better position, but you take Vietnam, um, uh, Iraq, Afghanistan, everywhere that got hit with the Arab Spring. It's just showing us that our, our continued foreign policy failures should now lead us to really re-examine what we're doing around the world and maybe pull back and just, you know, I'm not saying that we shouldn't because being the number one power in the world, we do have a responsibility to keep the peace at some, at some level, but what we're doing is it's fruitless and it's a waste of money and it's a way it's weighing on our, our economy and our citizens. And it would be better if we just, you know, projected power where it's necessary, but try to stay out of other countries. Yeah, no doubt about it. We don't have the money for us. We don't ha- definitely don't have it for other people. I've been asked about inflation. What What are my plans to deal with inflation? And quite frankly, at this point, uh, I posted a picture on my Facebook page last night about uh, Germans in the early 20s making a kite uh, yeah, little boys making it. a kite with the flying with the their currents that that's where we're headed there's no you can't bounce back from for me it should be you know everybody crypto and silver and uh anything but u.s currency are good investments at this point because you just can't bounce back from it in my opinion we're just too far gone yeah. what's your take yeah. on that we're headed for hyperinflation Um, And we've been coming towards this cliff for a very long time. And Ron Paul has been saying, man, he's the only one that's seen this coming the whole time. And we're, we're headed for a crash and it's just, it's going to have to happen. There's no other way. There were others that seen it coming. They just didn't care. Uh, Ron Paul uh, seems to be one of the only ones in Congress or in the Senate particularly that seems to have any, any real care he's about no longer in congress i mean his son oh yeah he seems to be one of the few people that actually do care about what's ha- what's actually happening what's going on particularly as it relates to our freedoms uh, but as far as the american dollar oh it's it's done for what we got maybe 20 years left of the american dollar that is, if the if the economic crash is not as big as I think it's going to be, but I think it's going to be uh, 20 years in the making, it's going to be a, the greatest depression and the greatest uh, train of recessions in the history of the world. And, Eight years uh, tops. I'm thinking 20. I think it's going to last 20 years above the depression. What I, is what oh, I mean. Okay. I, th- I thought you meant how long it take for us to get there. No, I I think we'll be there by the end of this decade. I I, I have no optimism uh, that Before we're not going to be here. It's going to be less than five years. 
But, you know, me and Rhett were talking in the last show. I don't know if you watched it or not. But in the last show, we were talking about the uh, the, irrevo- the irrevocably. Nah, I'm not even going to try to use that word. I'm a little strong for thoughts. But um, it almost seems that we are almost irreversible in getting ready to go into a series of cataclysms that may be the point of no return for not just not just the economy, but for all mankind, for really for the majority of species on this planet, if things get as bad as we think they are. Uh, I feel that we're pretty resistant as a species. Uh, economically, yeah, we're going to a place of no return here in the U.S. Uh, the market's going to crash. It's inevitable. Our dollar is going to be worthless. We'll have to figure out a way to bounce back from that. But as our species goes, I, I, we're pretty resilient. I think we'll always bounce back until something so big happens that we just can't bounce yeah. back. Well, I think we'll be fine. This The thing I'm really worried about, let's say this doesn't turn into World War III, because there is a strong possibility that it won't if Ukraine just, you know, basically gives up to Russia's demands, which is already what they were talking about anyway. Well, so let's say we make it through that fine. We're still dealing with a lot of strife in our in our homeland. And the economic crash is going to exacerbate the divisions that we already have here. And so, but I think really the solution for it is just a return to federalism. Just let California be California. Let Texas be Texas. This is how the system was supposed to be set up. Every state has pretty much, this convention of states could actually fix a lot of problems. It could fix a lot of the problems here in the uh in America, not so much per se of our connections to the world. I think our relationship with these other countries have been so, so uh, irrevocably damaged by several administrations, not just the Biden administration, but several administrations leading up to this, that they, uh, because of America's meddling and toiling in other nations, that that relationship is dead, it's done for. And the fact of the matter is, is that unless uh, we get another Trump type tycoon that gets into the office and try and promotes our energy as he did. Um, it's going to be very, very difficult for America to, uh, to prosper on anything if the left continues to have its way and our energy continues to be outsourced to these uh, nations that are in no ways our friend. Um, I'm all about having our own, building our own stuff, but that's always been the downfall of communist countries as well. Uh, the Soviet Union, uh, look at China, you know, you start running out of resources and then you start expanding. Look at, I mean, Germany, fascism, they happened, the same thing happened to them during World War II. You try to do everything internally, resource-wise, energy, uh, infrastructure and manufacturing and then you start running out of something say coal and you have to start expanding and then you get too spread out and then you collapse so i think there's a healthy there needs to be a healthy balance of uh being mostly self-sufficient but not so much that uh it's detrimental to the economy itself uh i've got no problem getting energy from this country or that country, so long as we'll be able to handle ourselves in times of potential crisis with those nations. 
like that's, uh, that's my problem with this administration right now is um particularly as it relates to energy is it doesn't matter if you want to try to stabilize prices you stabilize prices by creating results and creating results is by creating jobs but what biden's administration did by releasing several million barrels from our strategic reserve is absurd because there will come a point when resources and other nations are going to be slim resources over here they aren't letting us use them so there are going to be there are going to come times where it's where we're going to need those particularly as we get closer and closer to what seems to be war times uh you know i know Rhett holds out optimism that if ukraine folds um, and just falls over that russia and world war three will be averted i don't see that i see it as uh even hastening it because now we have talks about with the Iran nuclear deal that they're, you know, I don't know why Russia's involved as been the chief part of our negotiations, but then also China's ever looming hand over Taiwan and America because of our potential uh, interest in Taiwan because of all those microchips and things that we can get out of there. America, they, those tycoons are not going to let Taiwan fall for anything. And if Ukraine folds, Taiwan, it goes poof overnight. China is watching very closely to see what they can get away with. And I don't see these, these politicians allowing that to happen because they want those microchips. And so there's there goes war all over again just off of that and so putin he's just the opening act in my opinion well uh, i agree with red two things one if ukraine falls it's our fault and uh second thing is uh let me guess touch on that a bit ukraine wants to be part of nato they want to join the European Union. And, uh, they had assumed that we were going to make that happen and let that happen. But whenever we told them no, uh, you know, Zelensky, he's already been talking about, he's like, well, you know what? I don't want to be part of NATO anymore. So I have a feeling that that problem will uh, help in the war. Um I don't think Putin's wanting to – he's just wanting to push NATO back. And uh, I don't think right at this point that he would go to other countries. But, uh, you know, Belarus is uh, possibly at risk. So Belarus is already Russian. It's already Putin's. They're just a proxy state for him. And Ukraine – it's a it's strategic positioning, not only because it keeps the rest of NATO at bay, but Russia gets Ukraine. They get to open up to a lot of a lot of industries that they don't have access to over there. Because I mean, you you all you guys know that eighty percent of Russians live right there on the on the western on the western uh, part of Russia, because the rest of Russia is basically just a big ice desert. There's not a lot of resources there, so Ukraine is more than just geopolitical there's a lot of economic advantage for 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 putin to gain by having ukraine those five major ports he gets access to pretty much the entire western world just by getting ukraine 
So I don't I don't think he stops until he gets that. Because I mean, he said it himself that losing Ukraine was the biggest failure in Soviet history. He not already get he already took Crimea though, didn't he? He took Crimea. Um, yeah, he did. I think he took Crimea uh, right around the Mediterranean, I believe. Or is that about? Or is that around the Baltic? I can't recall the actual location. I know it's on the south southern portion of Ukraine. Am I right, Rhett? Huh? Crimea is in the Black Sea. Yeah, okay. the Mediterranean's far off. That would that. that would just give them. I mean, they, they don't have any uh, warm water ports. That's the only one. So they took Crimea, um, but they still have to go through the Bosphorus Strait, and uh, to get to the the, the Aegean. And then out to the Mediterranean, it's, I mean, they needed a port, but it's still really not that great of a location. They only have one aircraft carrier anyway. Well, you compare that to other nations is, you know, America has a lot, but that's because we, we're the most powerful country in the world. But when you compare that to some other nations that also have significant military numbers, Russia does have more than a lot of these other guys do. And the fact is, at this particular point in time, aircraft carriers are, much, are pretty much useless when we're dealing with, with potential missile strikes from a lot of these nations. It's particularly uh, the members of NATO, which I, I've been saying for the longest time, let the, you know, we're, what, 3,000, 6,000 miles away? Let these guys fight their own battles. It's their problem. But, you know, we we have to be involved because of contracts and treaties that should have been expired at the collapse of the Soviet Union. The thing is, we're not all we do have a treaty. I, should, I agree that we should have never agreed to the treaty, but we're not but we're not following the treaty right now. The one where we told them we protect them. If they gave up their nukes, we're not protecting them right now. And I heard you speaking earlier on that. And, you know, we, me and Rhett have been told them what the same thing is, you know, if not for that uh, responsibility that we bear, I would say, fuck the Ukraines, not in, not in a disrespectful sense, but let them fight their own battle. That's what I would say. But because of that, obligation something has to be done that doesn't that doesn't mean military militarily i don't know what it means but something has to be done more than what's being done presently and you know they keep on talking about escalation escalation of forces and might like this there are several ways that to get involved without getting involved with our own personnel you know we could supply them with with the weapons, with the with the uh, with the artillery to create their own no-fly zone without us getting involved, let them handle all of those things. I think that was on the table before, but they wanted to come through Poland, and then then uh, for some reason they uh, they talk about sending it through Germany, and then Germany is like, no, that's going to you know make a make an escalation and all of that stuff, blah blah blah. But there there were ways to prevent this from happening without actually having to, to send in American troops, American forces. The Congress and the, and particularly the administration in office 
right now, they don't seem to have um, the, the mindset or the or the gamble because everything's really a gamble. Um, or should I say they don't they don't have the balls to take the gamble to 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 call Putin's bluff because right now he's Putin. It seems to be that he's playing poker with us with a dead hand and he's just continuing to call and while we're sitting there we might we have potentially a royal flush in our hand and we're getting ready to fold because we're afraid of that he might have something better what she's shown us this is all he's got other than short of a nuclear weapon what is he what else is he going to do i think russia losing putin's fear of losing is more dangerous than if he won. Uh, and speaking of that, so the Soyuz MS-21 mission, uh, three cosmonauts, three Russian cosmonauts launched from Kazakhstan uh, today, maybe yesterday by now, depending on the time change. But they arrived to the International Space Station today, and it appears that the three Russian cosmonauts had snuck aboard their Soyuz spacecraft three sets of coveralls that look like the uh, Ukraine flag. And uh, they uh, I watched a video earlier where they emerged from their Soyuz capsule onto the International Space Station wearing these uh, homemade coveralls. I was like, man, Putin is going to be pissed at that. But uh, I-, I wonder if Putin will, you know, launch a nuke or two. Uh, I have a feeling that he might. I think that he will. I don't see a reason why he wouldn't. A, a localized nuclear explosion uh, would be basically how we subjugated Japan. Yeah, I have a feeling, though, that uh, that's whenever nobody had nukes, though, but us. I have a feeling that he really doesn't care as long as he doesn't lose. And if he loses or feels like he's going to lose, he has no problem wiping out the entire world, including himself. And uh yeah. I mean, he is old enough to not need to care about the circumstances, whether he wins or loses. I have a feeling that's a that's a pretty big possibility. More more than the Cold War was, you know. I have a feeling that I don't know some nukes might be launched. You know, Rhett, Rhett was talking about that uh, sadness in the last show. That it, it appears that this generation of of leaders, that you know, you know, they're all ancient. But this seems to be their last shot at creating the one, the one, uh, the one world order, the new world order of one party rule. This seems to be their last shot, and they are going to do everything possible to get it to happen one way or another. And if global war is what it takes to subjugate the rest of the world under American rule, or underneath NATO or the UN rule, whoever's going to be in charge of this one world order then these old heads are willing to 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 take whatever course is necessary because they aren't going to be here to deal with the consequences of their of their mistakes afterwards anyway i don't know about the one world order thing uh i just i have a feeling that if he starts launching them he that's not his intention to create a one world order, his intention will be to kill everybody on earth. Uh, 
Uh, it's a potential. I think it might happen. What do you think, Rit? He's disappeared on us somewhere. Yeah, there he goes. Putin was never part of that uh, global, uh, the uh, you know the the World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab people, uh, Davos. Putin was never on the side of the New World Order. No one really calls it that anymore. But yeah, but he's uh, he's always kind of been their enemy. I understand that. I'm talking about the other uh, the, the other side is taking advantage of, you know, you know what they're saying is never let a good crisis go to waste. Yeah, so far, all the other ones have gone to waste, so they just keep trying new stuff, but I don't think they're going to be successful. I certainly hope they are successful, but um, if they are successful, no, no good will come of it. If they aren't successful, no good is going to come of it. I mean, this this is this, the chain of events that have happened. Happened when you try to expand ideologies way too far than what they need to. I know you guys spoke on this a little while ago while I was while I was away, but several nations are not ready to adopt uh, the type of republic that we have. Several nations are not ready to adopt. The economic systems they that we have never will be. Yes, exactly. Because some some people, uh, some cultures, see our way of living as an aversion to their beliefs, and so it is not our duty to spread our beliefs onto them onto these other people. These people have to fight their own battles and come up with their own solutions to make their own lives better or worse, depending on what they want to do. And like with Ukraine, I see I see many parallels to Ukraine and America, uh, you know, in, in the 1700s. I see many parallels to Ukraine and the Revolutionary War. However, that does not mean that they are equivalent because the chain of events that led to this was not something that was a natural rebellion uh, by, due to overtaxing and encroaching freedoms by despots across the, you know, across an entire ocean, this is something that was completely forced upon them due to the inaction and, in part, the action of the Western world. You know, I know Rhett, Rhett said to me before that NATO has been expanding ever eastward and taking over much, much more land in uh, what would be considered Russian, Russian space. So this, this war was inevitable. Ukraine is just a happenstance. It's just a bifactor of that. But I don't think it stops with Ukraine because Ukraine's just the last piece uh, that's keeping the rest of NATO from expanding eastward. If NATO continues to go eastward, um, you know, Russia's going to be surrounded by his enemy. And it only gets worse when <coughs> everything is televised via the media. So Russia hears all of the things that our that our statesmen say about them all of the time, uh, calling them the enemy and blaming Russia for 
literally everything. If it, uh, if it rains outside, yes, yes, Lindsay. You know, if if it rains cats and dogs outside tomorrow, literal cats and dogs, uh, the media is going to come up and say that Russians sh- shot shot a balloon of cats and dogs to the sky and caused it to rain down. <laughs> with, no, with no evidence that Russia did anything, Russia may well have been behind a lot of the stuff that the media has blamed them for, but they just say this without any evidence and expect that we're just supposed to have a nice cordial relationship with Russia. It, it doesn't work that way. And so, you know, they, these are the results of that. You know, poor, poor relationships uh, perpetrated by a lot of anti-Russian propaganda, not to say that, um, that Russia is a great place to be, but at the very least, if we are so dependent upon Russia or if the, the Western world, not particularly United States, but you know, most, most of NATO, particularly Germany and others are so dependent upon Russia, you would think that they would not be trying to antagonize the person that's supplying them in Germany's case with 60% of their energy. Yeah, that's why Germany's try to loosen up their sanctions. They put themselves in a hard spot. But uh, I will tell you this: if Ukraine, and it seems like Zelensky today is is uh, trying to do more peace talks with, uh, with Putin. It seems like he's finally, you know, I guess giving up, so to speak. Uh, if if Zelensky gives up and Russia comes in uh, and makes you know that part of Russia, I immediately believe that. United States is going to go it go in and destabilize Ukraine, and uh, we're not willing to help Ukraine. But as soon as they get destabilized and taken over by Russia, we'll go in immediately and destabilize Ukraine and make it even worse for them. So, well, Ukraine was never stable to begin with. You know, they were in a civil war of themselves because half the country believes that they're Russian and the other half believes that they're a free, sovereign, sovereign state, yeah, sovereign nation. Those two Ukraine states, uh, they should have just, in 2014, when it happened, they should have just <clears throat> gone ahead and let them go back to Russia. You know, I don't know why they didn't or what it was, but you can't have a country to be another country. You can't have citizens split on who they're, who they want to be, you know. And see, that's why I say that I see parallels between our revolution and theirs. The difference being is that in our revolution, after, you know, it took several petitions and up until the Olive Branch petition um, before we ever went to war. But the whole purpose of our Declaration of Independence was everybody in our colonies had to be on board in order for that to go through. With Ukraine, they took a simple That's majority. That's definitely vote. not the case. Yeah, dude, about no. a third, a two thirds of the people didn't support the revolution or didn't care. More, I'm more than t- that. More than that. More, most, like ninety something percent of them did not want a revolution. That's what I understand. That what I mean is by the the signing of the declaration. You know, with with, with Ukraine, they did a simple majority vote. And that was the end of it. They did not consult I don't the think other that side. This Ukrainian conflict is in any way analogous to our revolution. That's I what I, I said. I, don't, I, I see parallels. I don't see it as being the same. 
I think he's I think talking that's about not what I said. I don't see this. It, it's anything. Yeah, it's but Donetsk and Luhansk. Something's going on with your mic, Red. You're very loud. Okay. That's a little no. bit better. That's that's better, but you're still very loud. Let okay, me turn well, my. You're good on turn, my end. Let me turn my down a little bit and see, because I'm got a lot of. A lot of massive echo coming from your boom. Massive echo. Let me see. Let me turn it down a little bit. All right, try speak now. Speak. Speakonia. Okay, this sounds much better. All right. <laughs> you are old man. I think he's relapsing on chocolate over there. <clears throat> mm. Cough drop. Yeah, I don't have any cough drops, unfortunately. You should always keep cough drops when you're doing shows, right? Or at least keep some lemon and honey nearby. Man, so how about we, uh, so, uh, man, I'm going to do some water. Yeah, don't die in the middle of our broadcast. Uh, but while, while I have you, while I have you here, Alden, I will, you know, I know Rhett, he, he when he messaged me, he said, this is, we're just going to have a nice Good discussion, and I know we've been talking Ukraine for the last couple of shows. Uh, as far as some of the things, uh, when when looking into what we've got going on now, I've seen a lot of these COVID restrictions starting to be lifted, which I believe is a good thing. They think it might be a little far in, too late in some places, as far as for job opportunities, squandered opportunities, and stuff like that, but. I think overall, most places are going to rebound pretty quickly. Um, what do you, What do you think on some of these outstanding things? I know they were um, on Capitol Hill. I think it was yesterday, talking about uh, some of the issues with some of the science, some of the statistics, particularly as it relates to to children uh, being like one in a million or dying for, of things, and uh, a lot of the parents' choice being stripped of them in the process of this. And I know talking talking COVID is, is difficult because of their YouTube and stuff like that. But I would like to, to hear uh, reasonable opinions on a lot of these, on a lot of these issues as it relates to this vaccine hesitancy that so many people still seem to have. I mean, myself, I'm not hesitant about the vaccine. I just don't believe in taking one while my health is still good and while the science is still not where I want it to be for a vaccine, it, you know. I'll give you my personal opinion on it. I had, uh, I got the Pfizer vaccine, both both doses of it. Um, I can't remember how many months into it, you know, the thing, I got it. But uh, I went ahead and got it after talking to someone who I uh, 
who I really trust, who always weighs the options, who had just gotten it. And I waited about, I don't know, three weeks or so after he got it and talked to him and decided to get it. I haven't had the booster, but uh, it there were extremes on both sides. I don't think it should have ever been the government's decision, to, the federal government's decision to come in and shut down businesses. But this makes me unpopular. My next opinion I'm going to give, but uh, I don't, I don't know why, but a lot of people got upset when I mentioned and stated that I have no issue with private companies making their own vaccine and mask policies. As long as it's not the government doing it, I, I had no issue with private companies doing it. Uh, in my opinion, that was just like a no shirt, no shoes, no service. Private businesses should have the right to make their own policies. And if that hurts them, well, okay. But if it helps them, okay too. But I had a big issue with conservatives uh, making laws like in Florida, for instance, that prohibited private businesses from making their own decisions, because in my opinion, that's just as tyrannical to prevent the private businesses from making their own policies as it is for the government to come in and make the policies for them. So. You know, I can see both sides of the argument on that one, because uh, on the one side, I also am in favor of small businesses being able to make their own decisions on those things. On the other side, I say that most small businesses wouldn't make those decisions if government hadn't forced it down their throat. And then on other, on other sides of the argument, uh, as far as some of these localized legislation made by Republican or conservative politicians, I can see both sides of the argument in that case as well. One side of the argument being that if let the businesses take the full blunt or full force of whatever consequences may come from their decision. The other side of it is saying that by push, by placing in force uh, dress codes uh, uh, on that involve accessories such as masks and vaccines or, or uh, latex gloves and stuff like that, a lot of people may say that it's uh, an anti-discriminatory bill that they're passing. So I can see areas for both arguments. Though, I know we can't go back and undo any of it. I'm, I would have completely had the government stay out of it altogether. You know, do what you have to do to make the vaccine as quickly as you can, test it to make sure that it works, and it's an actual vaccine, which I can't talk about my my views on that because we might get deplatformed. But um, you know, do your test and then make it readily available to the consumer. But don't go out there pushing uh, such nonsense, particularly when it came to the issues of masks and uh, and their viability. I mean, did they? The CDC, the World Health Organization, all of these doctors have been on so many different sides of this mask issue that it's hard to it's hard to even fathom why uh, they they even just force these mandates upon people. It's almost as if they completely forgot what their stance was uh, 
a few months ago. And then a few months after that, they change stances and they change stances to another few months after that. And they keep changing stances and seemingly out of nowhere because the science to my, to, to, to the best of my knowledge, hasn't really changed on the viability of the mask as to whether or not they actually work. Uh, I think uh, they prevent, you know, there's some prevention there, but a lot of people lost uh, faith in the CDC, especially first responders and nurses. Uh, I'm not saying the nurses weren't, in, you know, were anti, you know, this vaccine and or first responders were, but the uh, mask, when it comes to masks, so um, a lot of people may not realize that first responders and nurses from the very beginning of this whole pandemic, um, there were exceptions, not based on safety, but based on resources. So there's a first responder and nurse exemption, but I, it may still be in place. I know it was at the beginning of the pandemic when it was most serious, but uh, first responders and nurses had different rules by the CDC uh, on coming to work after an exposure and uh, first responders were encouraged to come to work anyway after an exposure, unless you were showing symptoms. And this is at the very beginning of the pandemic. Uh, and so, you know, they didn't really, it was rules for the regular citizens and then rules based on necessity for the nurses and first responders. So uh, we definitely weren't as protected. Uh, the government just didn't care, I guess. Or, I guess they couldn't have all the first responders be out sick. So uh, there well, were I mean, different rules. I mean, they uh, under under different administration, because, you know, at the beginning of this, it was the Trump administration and then the Biden administration took over. But it seems as though uh, I hate to pick on the Biden administration because it seems like we, we pick on them a lot on the show. But a lot of a lot of the issues surrounding the pandemic really didn't take off until the Biden administration got in there with a lot of these forced regulations and mandates, particularly uh, basically forcing um, a lot of our first responders out of a job due to vaccine hesitancy because, you know, and I, I would trust uh, some of the first responders to be able to make that decision based upon the data and the science. Um, because this is the field that they have been in. They've been researching it. They've been performing on it. And the fact that, that you were fine with them risking their lives prior to the, the vaccine's readability, um, and then afterwards, you're ready to throw them under the bus because they aren't, they aren't willing to go on with your mandate, you know, it's it speaks two different tones to the American people, I believe, where people like me who are looking, who are combing it over with a fine tooth comb to make sure that the science is crossing places, make sure that the vaccine is uh, checking all of the boxes of what a vaccine should be checking uh, before to put taking a foreign uh, entity and injecting it into my body. Because I take... I take other medications every day. I, I have to, otherwise I will eventually die if I don't. So people like me are not opposed to a vaccine. I want to be able to take one and not have to worry about taking another one next year because I have never had to take more than one measles shot. I've never had to take more than one 
uh, polio shot. I don't, know, I don't know how many they stuck me with when I was born, but I never had to retake those. But as it relates with the COVID, you know, you get one of the, the CEOs of Pfizer, they come out and say that the vaccine, had, unless you've taken the three shots and a booster has little to no effect at all. And then you go back to some of the other ones are saying you need two shots in the booster and it gives you immunity, but you can still catch COVID. They, they, the loose change of terms of the definitions by the NIH and particularly by Dr. Fauci and his uh, back and forth with Rand Paul is, is what caused so much of this hesitancy in my, in my Fauci opinion. is gay. <laughs> I, I don't disagree. Proceed. I was done. Yeah. Oh. Okay. You kind of came in and and you know interjected there, but I was finished with my statement after after that. You know the hesitancy really came from from Fauci being caught up in so many lies. I, I won't say he was caught up in lies. He was caught up in a lot of half truths. So I think there was a lot of truth in what Fauci was saying, but he wasn't telling the whole story. And he was covering up so much crucial data that could have saved a lot of lives earlier on had we known about it. Because if Fauci would have just came out and said, yes, it was made in the lab, you know, our troops could have went over there and, and stormed into that particular lab, got an isolated version of the virus, and we could have had this rolling much faster. But because of... It might not have worked out in the way that I think it is, but but because of Fauci's uh, aversion to telling us the facts, he he caused a lot of this hesitancy, and he's caused a lot of this long uh, longevity of the virus. You know, most most viruses tend to play out after about three years or so. And me personally, since Fauci was being paid at the highest of any federally paid employee at the time, I felt as though Fauci was going to continue to backpedal information to let this roll out as long as it can so he can continue getting the paycheck. Because he was getting paid more than the president of the United States if you exclude the president's $2 yeah. million credit he's the highest. He's the highest paid government official. Yeah, over $400,000. The president gets 200000 but he gets a $2, a two million credit. The president makes 400000 400, was it 400? Yeah. I thought it was no, still 200. 200. Yeah. 400. As I know, Congress right now is getting 170,000. So they're supposed to be getting 10,000 per diem tied to the federal rate. So yeah. it's more than 400,000 a year. I thought it was at 200,000 too. Made. Four hundred seventeen thousand six hundred eight and twenty. Yeah. Anyway, the point is, Fauci is the highest paid government employee. Doesn't deserve it. I think he was going to continue to hold it, make it go as long as it can, so he can continue to get that paycheck. I saw this article. Ridiculous article. You know, you're one of the so worst responses. <laughs> huh? I said, you are so unprofessional, smacking your gums in the middle of a broadcast. <laughs> I 
This is the worst response to high, higher gas prices I've seen yet. This dude's total freaking idiot. Wow. Soaring gas prices are hurting Americans. It's time for more stimulus checks. <laughs> I don't, and then, I also then, see then this is what he begins with. Trying to raise this is the sentence of- that he begins with. Rising inflation is hitting all sectors of the economy. Dude, do you know why? That's the share, share, you share that on the screen down. because I want, an artificial I want people coma. to see that. Share that on the screen. I want people to be able to see that so they can see for their own uh, for their own eyes that this is what the intellig- uh, the intelligentsia is trying to trying to say to us. You put the economy in an artificial coma for two years, and then give people free money, and they're surprised by inflation. I mean, that's just freaking ridiculous, man. That's exactly what happens. And the dude just straight up acknowledging and but calling for more stimulus checks like, yeah, let's just go ahead and fuck it the rest of the way up. That's a perfect idea. And, you know, this, um, this I seen another one where Democrats were introducing bills to tax the oil companies in order to make the gas prices go down as if that was going to help gas prices go down taxing the people who control the gas prices well they don't really control the gas prices they control the market of the gas prices and as the market goes up they have to raise the prices but you're going to tax these people and expect them to in return lower the gas prices I mean, I, th- I thought economics 101 was that corporations don't pay taxes. They pass it on to the consumer. You would, I thought, well, yeah, you know that if you know anything about economics. But the thing is, our politicians don't really know anything about economics. It gets it gets even dumber than that, because I've also seen uh, I've also seen many, many posts spreading around Facebook that are trying to say, well, Gas in London is seven dollars and seventy six cents. Gas in Germany is thirteen dollars and sixty five cents. But America, gas on a national average is four dollars and forty eight cents. You shouldn't be complaining. And like, yeah, but you know, the, these people also analogous. don't know that the gas in Europe has always been higher. Yes, because of their because of their proximity and because of their overwhelming gas tax. America has a gas tax, but to the degree that Europe has is my Our gas tax is only 18 cents a gallon. You you compare that with Europe's on average Europe's gas tax. I know my cousin, my cousin Danny, he comes out of the Netherlands and their uh low end federal tax yeah. rate is over is over 20% added to How added to regular costs. Oh he's she's fine. Easy. Danny's a He's a he's a he works at a I think he works at a as a history teacher or historian at a museum down here somewhere. Mm. Yeah, I ain't seen him since high school. Uh, yeah, I see Danny. Uh, I see last time I saw Danny was when I moved into this apartment. Yeah, he helped me uh, get a new inner tube for my bicycle. He was a pretty cool guy. Yeah. And but. You know, he he told, you know, he went he went to the Netherlands a little while ago and he's he comes and he tells me about the prices 
that's in there. Like, my goodness, these things are ridiculous. Uh, and you try to compare that. I mean, this is not even comparing apples and oranges. This is comparing oranges to fucking hockey pucks. They're not even in the same league. Uh, they're not analogous at all. And it's, you know, I, I try to explain it. I try to go back and forth. But some of these people are like, you know, really driving an 18-wheeler into an unbreakable brick wall back and forth. It is Speaking ridiculous. of that, man, have you seen the freaking, I saw a post, I saw a picture on, on somebody posted on Facebook of a gas pump after filling up a big rig, freaking $897. Yeah, uh, you know, you, do you remember Ryan Chadwick? Uh, yes. Ryan, Ryan Chadwick, or Ryan Groff, yeah. or as we used to go. Yeah. Uh, he's, a, he's a truck driver. He sent, he posted a receipt uh, of almost $1,000. Nine hundred and something dollars for gasoline, and I was talking to him about uh, about the raising the raising costs. And you know, they used to get paid about three dollars ninety nine cents a mile for the tra to transport. Well, paying them three dollars ninety nine cents a mile to transport now is poo poo. It's nothing. So mm -hmm. you, so now they have to raise their their cost. As a truck, as a truck driver, in order to break even, in order to transport <clears throat> these goods, and as a result of that, all of the people that are relying upon this truck driver to transport his goods across the country have to raise their prices because they have to pay the truck driver fifteen dollars a mile, as opposed to as opposed to three dollars or five dollars a mile because gas prices are so high that the truck driver is losing money to take a job. <laughs> yeah yeah it's a it's a bad situation I think we can uh, this is not when I say this I'm not referring to the country I'm talking about us individually we'll be able to make it okay I think I think most people in the country will be able to make it okay because most people in the country don't understand the uh, the actual battle that's going on, and so long as they stay blissfully ignorant to it um, and don't fall into the mass hysteria that the media is trying to get them to fall into, I think they'll be fine, particularly as it relates to the market, because as I said, I think the market's going to crash. I think it's going to take about 20 years for it to recover. And if we are still around in that 20-year period of time, I think the best thing for anybody to do is not to hesitate and start pulling their money out of the market. I think this is the perfect time for people to start investing more into the market. Because yeah, well, I, I don't think if the dollar crashes, it's not going to matter what you do. I don't really think at this point it's worth it to even save U.S. dollars. Oh, mm -hmm. I don't mean doing that. I'm talking about investing into the global markets because the market always recovers, even at a decline, it recovers. And if yeah, I'm right I'm saying, on you this, might want to do it in another currency, not dollars. Well, get you some Please. gold, get you some physical tender, not not based upon debt. Uh, that's for sure. What um, do you mean the global market? Invest in the global market. You just mean other. What do you mean? Well, by what, that? what I mean by the global market is in the in. And securities, we talk about the global market as investing in a global network 
of uh, of systems. So rather than just investing in say gold, you're investing in uh, American gold, gold from Africa, gold from uh, from China, gold from wherever, because it's all connected to to the global market. You're investing in the the proprietary business part of it. You're not so much investing in the product, but the business as a whole. And when you go into the global market, you can get, uh, say, down, uh, you, you invest on the individual market share, um, you're probably going to go in there and do a stock exchange or something like that. Or if you try to invest in a long term on a mutual fund of some sort, and you go to the bank and do that, you get somewhere around three and a half percent. Most most American banks today, savings accounts particularly, are offering about one one percent, which is about seventy two years on your return. But saving anything in a savings account is, I'm saying, it's keeping your money in the form of U.S. dollars, no matter what. No, see, that's what is not. That's what I mean. The, The global market, the global market share is more than just the American dollar. It's everything connected to the global market. Invest in that and back it up with physical tender, such as gold, silver, precious minerals, and and uh, Bitcoin, though, with you know, the way that the government's going, they're trying to take Bitcoin out of the equation for most consumers. But get into that yeah, well, space. I don't think you're going to totally do it, though. You can increase it by about 12 to 15 percent margins. And if you can get in in a certain way, those particular savings can be unaffected by global market crashes. And if those global markets recover, which they always do, you can basically become a Rockefeller overnight as a result of that. But you have to be able to be smart about it and doing it. You have to convert your IRAs, convert your spendings over, at least convert a portion of it over into some physical tender, gold and silver, something that's tangible, and then put it into a global into the global market. Not all at one time, because you still want to be able to have some dividend uh, to, to hold on to. But I, I don't want people to go into the mass hysteria that they went into in the 1920s which is what led to the market crashing as fast and as hard as it did because everybody's going to happen out of the market run on banks are going to happen. If that happens, you won't be able to stop people from mass hysteria. It's just, it's one of the, it's human nature. Yeah. That, that, that's what I fear. And that's why I say, I think that most Americans who are oblivious to what's going on, who don't really follow the media or who are averse to what the media tells them will be just fine because they won't fall into that mass hysteria. But for the people who are, you know, just listen to whatever the news tells them to do, yeah, it's gonna to be tough for them. I think it might not be a bad idea to start buying, just back up emergency supplies in case something yeah. happens. Yeah. You know, I, I, I would I would say whatever, just stock up on anything and everything that you I, might need in I, case of a, a shutdown. I would say that right now is even probably a good time to take whatever savings you got and try purchasing. I'm not talking about uh, getting a getting a loan or borrowing. I mean, straight out purchasing out lots of land because land will become a very useful commodity. 
Well, the thing is, I agree. Uh, land's always a great investment, but if shit hits the fan, uh, it's not going to matter. Like if you say, "Oh no, that's my that's my property line," you know, or yeah, yeah, for real. If it really goes comes down to it, land don't ain't going to be worth nothing. How? That's my property line now. You know. Uh, yeah. You defend it with guns. It's your property. Yeah, cigarettes are going to be like worth more than gold, tobacco, alcohol, cannabis. Those are going to be currency of, you know, when it all. Yes, wheat and barley will will become the new currency. Because, I mean, really, and realistically, that's where that's where it all comes down to is because uh, so many of the of the commodities and goods that we that we love can only really be produced in a very limited area, very limited space. You know, a lot, a lot of a lot of the grain that is produced in the world is produced right here in the United States. You try to get grain in Africa or certain parts of Africa, it's almost impossible. It has to be imported. And you try to get potatoes pretty much anywhere else in the world. I mean, America is pretty much the potato, the potato god as far as potatoes generated. That's where they were. Potato really god, he said. Yeah, pretty much. But Ireland, Russia, Ukraine, they grow a shit ton of potatoes. But, yeah. But you you try to get certain certain resources that that uh, that are prevalent here versus <laughs> elsewhere. Like uh, there are certain types of fish or marine life that only live in certain parts of the oceans that are miles away that a lot of people love to eat, but we can't get them because they don't grow over in our warmer coastal waters. And so that, that creates a, an issue of demand, uh, which we're all seeing that basically with all of the crap that's still floating out there in the water by California. But the issue Did y'all of demand, see that, um, go ahead. The, the value of a nickel is uh, the melt value is actually nine cents. Of one nickel, I knew it was. Yeah, nickel value is more now. Than yeah, yeah. Because, of course uh, it's, a, it's illegal penny, to do that, but of course you could melt down all your nickels, and double yeah. your money. I've heard that. It, I've heard that it takes about three cents to actually uh, to actually manufacture one penny. It takes three cents. Yeah, which it's stupid. Why are we still making it? We shouldn't be making pennies anymore. Canada got rid of their penny years ago yeah. and uh, yeah, the only problem that i have with the penny is that i can't put it in a damn vending machine exactly just get rid Dude, of the penny yeah either round up just or round down. for real europe doesn't use one cents anymore they either round up or round down your purchase to the nearest five cents and it works so yeah that's better it's definitely something we it's, pennies are stupid man <laughs> i just get in the way yeah, they get in the way. People throw them out their cars and shit. I like pennies. I just wish that they were more useful. I wish I could use them in more stuff than just cleaning out my pockets whenever I go to the store and I want to be an old person to pay you an exact change. Well, that's the thing, that you can't use them anywhere other than businesses. But who wants to have a pocket full of pennies? You can't use them in vending machines. They're worthless. Yeah. They probably cost I mean, the taxpayers the, millions The only thing they're good for is pennies. throwing them in a Coinstar machine. Along with some other coins. 
Throw him in a wishing wheel. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I'd love to find wishing a wishing well right about now and go down there and take all the coins out of it, but I'm pretty sure Uncle Sam. Yeah, for real. <laughs> Man, I, fuck making wishes. I just want to go get the money. That is my wish. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I... I, I want to switch over to something lighter because I hate I hate doing the show and sounding like I'm like I'm nothing more than a pessimist all of the time, because it seems like that's what it is when we come to the show we and we bring gloom and doom to everybody and everything. I, I, let's let's talk about some of the <laughs> now I, I I can't even get it out of my mouth because I'm thinking pessimistic as I say it, but let's talk about some of the good things that's going on in America right now, if there are any. Um, I will. I, I'll start off. I think. Uh, I think this year is going to be a great resurgence for the film industry as a whole. With now that the COVID restrictions are gone, for the most part, I think the film industry is going to make a really good break breakthrough. I think a lot of yeah, people continue are really, making their woke garbage. Yeah, that that's that's true. But I think some of the movies are are uh, going back to their roots. But what I mean is, I think. In general, a lot of people are tired of the streaming platforms, not so much tired of the convenience, but tired of the streaming platforms constantly raising cost. Because, you know, a lot of these films that we watch, we may watch one time and then years later go go buy the movie or find it on the streaming platform and watch it again. But then when you have particular companies like Netflix, for example, since I just ended my Netflix uh, subscription, I've had Netflix for all of these years and barely use it because they keep removing everything that I like to watch off of there. And they keep raising the price. When I started with Netflix, I was paying $7.95. Then I think I went up to $10.99 for the premium bundle to get the five, watch it on five devices and uh, at the time, which HD quality, 4K didn't exist at the time. Now, for the exact same services, I'm paying almost $20. I think it's like $19.75 after taxes and stuff. But I'm getting less and less of the content that I like to watch because I keep removing things. And same thing with Amazon. Amazon uh, Prime, they have a lot they have a lot to offer with their originals and stuff, but people aren't watching Amazon Prime for the yeah, originals. Yeah, they went up again, too, the on stuff. the price. They, they went up again, and, you know, if it wasn't for the fact that I love The Boys, I think The Boys is a great Amazon original, I would be canceling my Amazon Prime. Um, Disney Plus and Hulu, Hulu went up on, the, went up on prices. I used to use Hulu for Hulu TV and live TV, but they went up on the price, so I canceled them. The only reason why I still have Hulu is because my phone plan uh, with Verizon gives me Disney Plus plus Hulu and ESPN for free for life so long as I pay my bill. So that's the only reason why I still have Hulu now is because of that. And, you know, I use YouTube TV. They're a little bit pricier, a little bit pricey. They're like 60. They were fit. They were $58. They rose their price to $63 and whatnot. But that was still better than what I was paying for Hulu because uh, I used to pay Hulu plus live TV plus DVR and plus no ads. That was costing me almost $100 every month. Whereas now 
I get the same thing with YouTube TV, where it's my DVR is included, and I don't have to watch ads at all if I don't want to, and unless it's live TV, because I can skip through all of them. Still cheaper than Xfinity cable, though. Oh, yeah. Yes, it is. I, I remember when I was in Hattiesburg, I had one TV, one TV, one internet, $178 a month. It was ridiculous. Didn't even didn't even get the phone service. I just wanted the internet and the cable. $178. You actually yeah, watch TV? Yeah. Uh, not not as much as I, I used to. But I don't watch TV at all. Uh, I watch TV for around the same time every day. I, I like the little, like a, like I told you last time I came to your to your grandmother's house. I like to watch the five at four o'clock. I like to watch outnumbered at eleven o'clock. And then yeah, but you can watch on, that on YouTube TV. Yeah, YouTube TV. You ha- yeah, it is TV. I yeah, get it no, on my it's DVR. Like, it's like, it's way less than cable. Yeah, that's what I have, YouTube TV. I got that now because cable became so expensive and it offers yeah. so little in comparison. Yeah, there's no reason to have cable anymore. But that's the reason why I think that the the cinema industry is going to be doing a lot better because I think people are tired of of all the spikes and and pay uh, the spikes and um, and prices as it relates to a lot of our streaming services and streaming softwares. And because people just want to get out of the house, you know, I, I'm, I'm making my plan is June 10th. I'm going to Cinemark or, or Grand Theater, wherever I go, probably going to be Cinemark. And I'm going to watch Jurassic World Dominion on June the 10th. I got my, I'm getting some buddies of mine. We're going to go out there. We're going to have a good time and hang out with the with, with the buddies like we used to do. And that was what the movie was about. You know, sure, it's a little bit more expensive because you got to go spend twenty five dollars for fucking popcorn. You know, I'm I'm going to make sure I wear a large overcoat. You know, stuff a couple of things up my sleeves. Uh, don't tell anybody I said that. But you can say for those on the internet. <laughs> Uh, yeah. but you know, I Nobody kid you not. I, I do not. When I was a child, you know, I used to. I I wear hats all the time, and I loved to, and I used to love to wear suits all the time too. I still wear my suits. Oh, Mister Fedora. I uh, I kid you not. My my godfather, he was so cheap when we go to the movies at Cinemark that uh, I had a had a coke up my sleeve. And a, and three slices of pizza on my head under my hat. Oh, when what we the went, hell? <laughs> when we went into, into the theater. So we go up in there and get ready to do things. We go, hey, instead of instead of paying for Coke, he would pay for, for a cup of ice and we'd all have water. And we'd get one big, one big box of popcorn and we all share. The box of popcorn and then when we go to the theater we you know slide the slide the cokes out of my sleeve and take the pizza from under my hat <laughs> and, but you know as i got older and i'm sitting down like oh heck i can see why he did it it's you know it's 25 dollars for for popcorn and soda but that's not what you're paying for when you go to the movies you're really paying to have a good time with your friends and to be out of the house 
And that's what I think people are going to start doing again. And I I hope they do so, particularly for their children's sake, because being cooped up in a house is not fun. When does Top Gun 2 come out? Oh, jeez. I don't know. Keep moving it back. I haven't heard anyone say Top Gun in a long time. (laughs) I've never even seen Top Gun. I played the game. I played the game on the the NES. Top Gun was a good game. Uh, Some people say it was a bad game, uh, particularly the Aiden Daniels video games. Nerd says it's a bad game, but I liked Top Gun. What uh, game is that on? Uh, It's the original Nintendo. They, They had a version of it on the N64 too, but it wasn't the same. No, no, the one on N64 was Top Gear, not Top Gun. And, you know, also speaking of that, um, I I sort of see uh, a lot of these gaming things coming back as well. And I know they canceled a lot of them, but I see a lot of those coming back, uh, particularly because people, I, I don't know, maybe it's just me, maybe the cycles and circles that I'm in, are just feeding me the same stuff that I like to hear. But I think a lot of people are really looking more towards local video games, not so much get rid of online multiplayer, but they're looking at for video games that don't have to be connected to the internet to operate. For, for I'll give you an example. Uh, I, I think everybody in our generation loves Mortal Kombat or at least has heard of Mortal Kombat and some forum or atmosphere well you know mortal kombat 10 or mortal kombat x when it it was out it was great people loved it you could play it offline you could you could play it online you could do a lot of things to play with your friends but then here comes mortal kombat 11. the biggest issue that people had with mortal kombat 11 other than that it felt a little bit slower than some of the than uh some of the older games was that you could not play the game and save your data pretty much at all if you weren't connected to the internet. If you created a custom variation of one of your characters or something like that, it would not save if you weren't connected to the internet. And so you'd have to remake it all over again because you didn't have internet access or you weren't connected to the internet. And yeah, go ahead. No, and I'm saying, you know, I'm not saying that uh, that everybody should have internet, which I which I hope the internet becomes more available in a lot of the rural areas. But uh, the making a, making something like that a dependency upon the internet, when some people, um, like for me, for instance, uh, several years ago, uh, well, actually not not even several years ago. Uh, for, um, started in 2018 when i got rid of xfinity because it was so expensive i went to just use my mobile hotspot for my for my cell phone as my internet service and i did that uh up until i bought this apartment uh last year because it was just cheaper and at one point i bought a mobile jetpack from verizon since they didn't offer internet service down here I bought a mobile jetpack from Verizon that was just mobile hotspot and I could leave it at home 
and that would be my basically my internet modem and provided me with all the internet data that I needed in order to watch my shows or stream or do whatever because it it just didn't pay to for me to spend an exorbitant amount of money on internet that I may or may not use all that often because you know if you're using a cell phone um, most cell phones nowadays you can use Google, uh, YouTube, and all that stuff without, without being connected to the internet because of cellular data and cellular service. So I felt though, and so a lot of people who were like me in that particular uh, circumstance forego for for uh, forego internet altogether. And I love just playing playing at home and have a couple friends over play the game. But in a lot of these games nowadays. It's not the case. You can't do it at all if you don't have internet. Yeah, I like playing campaign mode uh, growing up and uh, even after high school. But then I realized that when the internet came out, campaign, the quality of the campaign modes went down drastically because they just expected people to play online all the time. And they should bring back a good campaign mode. Oh, uh, yeah. Without internet. Oh yeah, I, I I wholeheartedly agree. I think my favorite Mortal Kombat game of all time was Mortal Kombat Shaolin Monks, solely because it was just a massive campaign mode, and it was a co-op campaign mode. You know, you get to have your buddy on the same screen as you, going to run around killing people. You know, don't don't want to have people think that I just love going around murdering people. You know, just well, everybody knows this. We're talking about video games here, but. Uh, that that was that was the thing, you know, uh, a good campaign mode. I I remember. I don't I don't know if you remember this, but I know I remember uh, growing up on my N sixty four. We play Golden Eye 007 all day long, and heck, you know the campaign mode was single player, but it was a fun single player, and we take turns with it. And then we went to play multiplayer. You know, the multiplayer didn't have us going around killing uh, killing enemies, but we had to go around and find each other and stuff like that. So we turned the map off and go hunt each other down, have fun, things like that. You know, I think it had, had GoldenEye come out today, it, it might have saved a couple of fights where... You know, my brother would be looking at my screen on the TV, figuring out where I'm at. And, you know, I think we might have saved a couple of fights if we're playing in different rooms, but I don't think that the atmosphere would be the same. You know, when you grow up playing games in the same room as somebody and sharing the campaign mode as opposed to always having to do it connected to the Internet. I, 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 I don't like the over-dependence on Internet that we have today. You know, maybe I'm maybe I'm just old school. Maybe I'm behind the times. But I think the over-dependence on internet is going to wind up being our downfall if we don't start to realize that there are other things out there and there are other ways to enjoy entertainment without being connected to the internet. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I would love to get some friends together and uh, turn off our phones or, uh, and play board games. You know, I've done that before 
um, with a friend of mine that lives down the road, she would invite us over and we go over and we play, uh, uh, what was it? Um, deal or no deal, the board game, or, and family feud board game. We play Clue, um, you know, Monopoly, all types of board games, tabletop games that don't require the internet. And it's fun because you don't get the distractions. You get to sit there, have have a you know a good time, kicking it and talking back and forth with one another, and not having to rely upon the internet all of the time. Um, you know, I, I think maybe it's just a dying breed, but I think our children. Well, I don't have children, but I think this this generation that's coming up after us would be benefited heavily if we started to pull back on the internet dependency a little bit more. People give the new Generation Z or Zoomers as they're called a lot of crap, you know, about stuff, but I, I think they're gonna save the country. I got a lot of hope in them. I have hope in them. I just don't have hope in the people that are teaching them. <laughs> I, I, I have, I have hope in them uh, largely because I'm starting to see a change in our generation. And if that trend continues and cataclysm is averted, I see, I do see where this next generation can wind up being the saving grace of humanity because our generation is beginning to shift uh, away from the fairy tale and more into realism. I, you know, I, I hope that change happens more rapidly. But at the same time, I have to realize that I can't, uh, I can't be be too choosy on what we have because it's taken us a while to get to the point where all of the stuff has kind of capped. You know, you know how you when you're boiling rice on the stove and the water begins to foam, and it's reaching the point where it's getting ready to spill over on top of the pot. I think that's sort of where we find ourselves right now. Everything has reached the, the boiling pot and it's falling over. And the, the, that younger generation that's underneath us, I think once we're able to knock that top layer of foam off, I think they will do fairly well. I really do. they don't put up with much uh even like work-wise you know whereas millennials and boomers they you know no matter what they work hard the grindstone uh the new generation if they feel slighted or disrespected at work they'll give them another chance but after that they're off to something else uh, I, I just like how they don't put up with much you know Whereas, uh, like they don't, they don't put up with the disrespect. Uh, as soon as they feel disrespected, they're off to the next opportunity, which is good and bad in some cases, you know. Yeah, I, I agree. It's good and bad in some cases because, uh, in many cases, it opens up the door for better opportunity, but in other cases, uh, their their haste actions can some sometimes lead to their downfall, particularly because not everything. That they see as disrespect is actually disrespect. No doubt. You know, you know, a lot of people think that criticism is 
that criticizing somebody has been disrespectful. When criticism is not inherently disrespectful. A lot of times criticism is just that, criticism <clears throat> used, used to make you better. So where are y'all's apocalypse? Ultimately, it will, it will be up to our generation to avert this crisis. That is the role we've been given in this period of history. And Gen Z could play a, an instrumental role in that. You know, DeAndre and I, what? Uh, how old are you, Alden? 32. Yeah, so you're, you're yeah, we were, um, we're 27. Um, so we're right at the tail end of the millennial generation, almost to the point where we're kind of in like a, a weird kind of cusp period. And I even saw this, somebody coined a micro generation, Zillennials. Because I, I do identify with, uh, I feel like I don't really fit into either one. Like I can, I, I, I have some of the, uh, I can relate in some ways to millennials and to Gen Z. All my siblings, um, actually, one, two, three, four of my siblings are Gen Z. Um, and then the other three are Gen Alpha, which is the ones after Gen Z. So uh, I can relate to both of them. Um, apocalypse plans. Yeah, what do y'all? Uh, I want to. I want to uh, hold that thought. I want to break in here with a news bulletin that just flashed across me. Um, this is this is in in reference to a lot of the issues that I have with Congress and particularly their age, the oldest, uh, the oldest sitting member of Congress has just passed away. Uh, Alaskan Republican Congressman Don Young has died at the age 88. He has served in Congress since he won a special election in 1973. His death is caused Damn, by unknown dude. causes, likely, likely due just to old age. Freaking but old, dude. He has been in Congress since 1973. That's older than each of us that's has been alive. That's, that's older than my mother has been alive. Uh, you know, 1973, what is that? 48 years? Yeah, that's that's way too long, man. I mean, rest in peace, but uh, you don't need to be in Congress that long. Nobody should. It's the same thing I said about John Lewis. I don't think any congressperson should be old enough to die in Congress. Think you think you should have yeah, passed the torch? It should be well a tragic accident. Then. Yeah, I, I agree. Such as the, um, you know, I, I don't mean to compare his death, you know, compared to deaths of others, but such as the death of that young congressperson from uh, from from Louisiana who was paraplegic. He was the, one of the youngest to ever be elected, but then. He tragically passed away, I think, of COVID before he was able to be sworn in. And I think his wife wound up taking that position. Hmm. I know she was running uh, in his place. I don't know if she won. Was he a paraplegic? I know the Louisiana congressman you're talking about. I wasn't aware that he was a paraplegic. But, yeah, he did die of COVID before he was able to take uh, office. 
And, Damn, you know, th- those are the cases that I can exempt from the you shouldn't die in office. But at age 88, you know, uh, you lived a great life. Congressman Young, I'm happy. I'm happy. And I think that I think the service that you've done to our country, but really 48 years in Congress. I'd say age 60 yes. shouldn't be older than 60. Unless you're currently serving. Yeah, I was going to be nice term. to say. We should have the age limit at 70 at the oldest. But, you know, I think 70 is a, is a good age. I'll meet you in the middle. But, then, of but um, well, I mean, like, yeah, look at the retirement age. Uh, a correction. Be, He's know. been in office for near for 49 and a half years. Almost yeah, 50 half years. A freaking century, dude. That's that's too much. You know, my, my grandma, my grandmother, my grandmother was eight years old when he got elected. Yeah. Go home, grandpa. Sorry, but really. Oh, he can't go home now, but you know, not to make light of it. For good now. I I thought that was just eight years old in the 1973. Yeah. Yeah. The young, young family. Yeah, my 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 uh my mother was born um, when my grandmother was sixteen. So no, she was she was slightly older than that. She was around ten. So my my grandmother was born in the sixties. No, your grandma was, was ten when your mom was no, born. No, my grandmother was sixteen. So I said she was slightly older than eight. She was she was a, she was around around ten or twelve, somewhere around there. Because she was, because my grandmother was born, I think the late fifties, early sixties. Wow, my grandma was born in nineteen forty-five. I was born in forty-two. My other grandpa, oh, he's he's older than that. Big grandmother, she's a different story altogether. Yeah, you know? yeah. She, my, she was my. She was born in in twenty-three. Holy shit. And, and she died in 2015. No, 2016. No, 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 my, my great grandma, she died in 2018. I'm sorry. So she, from 1923 to 19, to 2018. My great grandpa remembers when the airplane came out. Oh, wow. Oh, good God. He wrote it down. He's not still alive. No, he's not still alive. <laughs> He wrote that he had a wrote a little autobiography, a one page autobiography before he passed. And those things are a blessing to have. They, they really are. No, no I mean, not, like, not so to have that one page autobiography he wrote. Yeah, oh, yeah, like that's no, valuable. yeah, it is. Uh, yes, to have, to have tangible history uh, that, that people can that you can recount. But, you know, yeah. I. Let's let's go back to the topic before before the interruption. I just wanted to to bring that up because it just splashed across my screen, and wanted to get you guys thoughts on on the passing of our oldest serving congressperson who died in Congress at the age eighty eight after serving forty nine and a half years in Congress. For, for reference, for reference on that, I just want to bring this up. For reference on that, Biden is now 51 years serving the country 
and I quote serving the country as a as person who's been in the Senate and Congress and in the White House 51 years. I think he got that's, involved yeah, in 1970 and 1971, 1972. Yeah, my mom was born in 1971. That's uh, wow. These people that just dem- that just demonstrates the point here. It's time for the last generation to sit down. Yeah, it's time. It's time. I'm sorry. I, I absolutely silent agree. generation. There's no reason the silent generation should still be in office. It should all be. I mean, boomers, it's almost their time up too. But silent generation like Biden, yeah, they don't need to be. I'm gonna in go there back and say 60. I'm gonna remove my age back down to 60 instead of 65. I think once you're 60, it's time to get out of Congress. Yeah, that's lower than the retirement age. I, I, I just can't. People are living so much longer now. I, feel, I mean, this is just my opinion. It's really just, you know, it's never, we're never going to have a maximum age. So really, there's, real, there's, you know, there's no point in even discussing it, but it's a good idea. Yeah, it is a good idea because now there's a special election to be held in, in, in Alaska. And that could change the tides. And, you know, you know, you know. Uh, I hate to say this, but thank God it was only going to change anything. You know, thank, thank God it was only Congress, uh, the House, that, uh, where he passed away. Had this been the Senate, that could change the tides of the entire country. Somebody dying in the middle of their term like this. Was, a, uh, yeah, it won't make no difference in the House. I don't know if he's still running or if it was the past election in Alaska. He was a congressional candidate for the U.S. House. He didn't even live in Alaska. Supposedly, you don't even have to live in the state you're running in. He lives in Texas. I think you just have to own property. There. You have to have lived there for five years. Yeah. Well, you yeah, you could have an address there yeah. mm-hmm. for five years. That's the only requirement. Yeah, for five years. And then you could run there. That, that's the way Romney was able to run uh, for Utah when he was living in Virginia. I think he was living at. Freaking mittens. Hey, you supported Mitten. <laughs> I just, I've, I voted for him because I didn't want to vote for Obama. No, you couldn't even I didn't vote like at the him. time. <laughs> I did vote in 2012. We weren't old enough to vote in 2012. I swear to God, I voted in 2012. I was 18. Yeah. Oh. I turned 18 on October 26th, right before the election. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, my birthday was after the election, so I didn't vote at all. My birthday yeah, is, my in the, is at the end of November as opposed to before November. As a matter of fact, I voted in the primary, too, and I was 17. But I still voted. They let, they let me register because I'd be 18 before the general. I, in those primaries, I voted for uh, Rick Santorum. I wouldn't do that now, but Rick at the time. By God. Shame on you. <laughs> well, dude, this was like, this was years ago. This was uh, yeah, this is when you were still a Bernie. Girl. Almost 10 years ago. I wouldn't have voted for him now, but 
I think Rick Santorum is a a fundamentalist. Um. Anyway, yeah. Um. You guys about ready to wrap this up? We're about two hours. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go ahead. All right. Uh, and uh, since you since, got anything? Yeah. Oh well, let's give the floor to Alder. He's our guest. Um, anything you anything uh, you want to depart on? Anything you want to add to? I know you. I know you asked us a question before I before I popped up with my little news bulletin. What was that? Uh, I just sort of jokingly, but not jokingly, ask what were y'all's apocalypse plans, if at all. We can uh, we can say that for the next uh, the next session. <laughs> uh, yeah, that one that that will be fun. I I do have plans to. For go to apocalypse and not planning on living in a bunker uh like the like the zombie apocalypse though i, I think we all have plans to forego the apocalypse sir <laughs> not yeah, forego uh, it too let's hope that doesn't happen uh, apocalypse itself but. i don't plan on living in if a that bunker, happens right. if that happens well, our plans will be what they're gonna be when it happens basically <laughs> yeah. all right sounds good i appreciate you having me back on uh, you're one of our more favorite guests. Uh, thank you for being a contribution to our show. We, uh, you know, your ideas are so fresh, and it's good to it's good to be able to have that type of conversation with with uh, a person that would be considered. I, I wouldn't consider you too much on the other side of, you know, of issues that I like, but to be on the other side of the political aisle uh, to what would be considered our aisle. I think people would consider us to be conservatives or or, or on the right, somewhat conservative. Definitely would not call myself a conservative. But, you know, when people hear the term libertarian, they obviously immediately think to the left, and which is not so much I don't, the case. I most, never, mostly, I always most think libertarians. Right. I, I, I tend to think center. I don't think I, libertarians libertarian. are definitely. You can be on either side of the aisle as a, as a libertarian. We have I, both. I'm further right on some issues than Republicans, and I'm further left maybe or matching some issues on the left side so uh, fiscally you know in second amendment bill of rights i'm on the right other issues socially and more on the left but it's but you see i love that that dichotomy and exchange of ideals between between us so i think between the three of us you know we have a a pretty nice hodgepodge of of different ideals that people can can or cannot subscribe to. And it allows them to open themselves up to a new, a different world and to uh, encourage them to get, you know, do their own research. Yeah, on what here's they what we need to do. The next time Alden comes back on, we need to uh, all of us take the political compass. You know, we were supposed to do a show on that, Rhett, and you let me forget. Yeah, I know. I, well, I didn't let you forget. I was just waiting. And maybe we should wait until Alden comes back on so we can all do the questions together and see where we end up on those. Once. See where we land on the. I think that's I mean, I've, taken, I've taken that test a lot of times, but I'd still like to take it again. Let's do it again. I'm probably going to be. Next time. I've only taken yeah. it once. So I'm interested to see what they say I am this time. Because they said, they said that I was, uh, 
was not as authoritarian as I thought that I was. And then I was more libertarian, right? Than yeah, I was authoritarian, real. right? I, I thought I was a monarchist. <laughs> He's not all, joking, for that. all hail me. Yeah, you've always had that sort of God complex, sir. It's not a complex, sir, if it's the truth. <laughs> See what I'm saying? See? Anyway. I appreciate y'all. And uh, I'll right. be on the coast tomorrow. Uh, maybe I'll get a chance to see y'all. Yeah, you got any events that's going to be down here that some people might want to be interested in going to? Uh, tomorrow evening, there is a medical cannabis celebration passage act, like the celebration of uh, a lot of people that put their time into getting it passed. Uh, they'll be on the coast tomorrow. There's a bonfire. Uh, is that by the Coliseum? Yes. I, I got the believe. details. If I I can send them to you, DeAndre. I, we'll see if we can get a ride or something. Um, yeah, I want to make I want to make that public on our Facebook because I want I want people that are interested in supporting that type of movie. I might not necessarily be all up in arms about cannabis, but I can recognize when things need to be celebrated, and so I want people to be able to 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 be able to take part in that, know where it's at, and stuff like that. So, I'll send you all the Facebook. If you, I sent you a screenshot, Rhett, but uh, I'll send you all the uh, official Facebook link to the event. All right. All right. Well, thank you, Alden. I'm going right. uh, to allow you to go. I'm going uh, okay. to see if I can get this this file from Rhett to see make, make sure everything got recorded properly. All right. I appreciate you all. Bye, Rhett. Bye, DeAndre. Have a good one. You Bye. too. Okay, let me see what you're playing.